TCU has added another player in the trenches there, 2024 class. Also, fall camp practice starts today. The Pac-12 will have an update from this supposed meeting that they had this morning. Um, and also, I've gotten some comments about recruiting rankings and where TCU is from a recruiting standpoint. That's all coming up right now here on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right, Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Also, find us wherever it is you get podcasts in its audio variety. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. You can tweet at me at Simcox Stephen. The show is at Locked On TCU. The Frogs have added another player to their 2024 class, offensive lineman Wesley Harvey uh, from Muskogee, Oklahoma, has joined the fold at TCU. And, um, you know, one thing that stands about Harvey is he's a big kid. Another guy with a big frame stands at 6'7, 257. Um, earlier this week on Sunday night, we talked about it Monday, the Frogs landed Chris Brister from Stephenville, Texas, uh, who was playing tackle at the moment, but appears to be somebody who's going to swing to that interior offensive line position at college, at least that's what he told, uh, or in college, at least what he told Jeremy Clark from 247 Sports. But Brister um, was a three-star lineman uh, for Stephenville. He joined Ryan Hughes uh, from the Woodlands and then Tobias Steps. Um, from the DFW area as O-lineman in this class, and they pick up another one with Harvey, um, who is an offensive tackle by trade. And I think there's a few trends that we're seeing here. So um, with Hughes and with Brister, you're seeing bigger O-linemen, right? Not sure what Hughes' future holds, if he'll be outside that tackle position or possibly inside. There's also some chatter online about Brister. Could he, poss- could he be a center at some point, which – um, you know, that is the most difficult of the interior offensive line spots. Uh, you know, obviously you have to have good feet with your movement. You have to be able to snap the ball and then get to your spot, get a uh, hat on a hat and move people, which is a, a tough thing to do. But um, those are two more like stout, beefy, like your typical O-lineman. Harvey and Steps are both really long and rangy. Um, when I talked with Brian Smith, our recruiting insider, he talked about steps and he has great feet. Not a lot of information out there on Harvey. I mean, this seems like another player that TCU has kind of scouted early in the process um, and landed on. His offer list is not just filled with Power 5 offers. Um, you know, according to 247 Sports, this UTSA – um, New Mexico State, Tulane, UNLV, and there's a few other schools. But it, there's also a huge disparity in ranking. So 247 Sports currently does not have him ranked as a player. But on three, which is another recruiting industry service, they have him uh, as a three-star prospect. So I would imagine now that he is committed and um, you know found a home here at TCU that he will get a ranking from 247 Sports. Um, one thing to keep in mind about O-linemen, that is a really tough position to rank and recruit. There are a, a small crop of, like, you would call just can't-miss talents, four-star, five-star guys um, that are fully developed, and you see on film they have the technique, they have the ability to come in and play right away. 
most offensive linemen are projects. You know, you need bodies in the room. Um, you can't replicate size. You'll see on like if you ever watch a if you ever watch a preseason NFL football game in the second half, you will see how hard it is to find quality offensive linemen that can really play and be physical and get it done. Uh, because typically those backup quarterbacks are running for their life. It is just it's a position where you need you need a lot of people and you need bodies and certain body types that can, you know, scout and give people a good look. Um, and so it seems like with this recruiting class, with four offensive linemen now, they're making an emphasis on trying to beef up the interior, get bigger players, and bring them along, develop them, um, and see where they could go. They do have kind of a young core. You know, Colton Deary still has eligibility left. He's transferring in from Maryland. Was Patrick and John Lands have been around a little bit. Patrick's coming in, though, from Jackson State um, and got some really experienced guys on the outside with Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. And so um, TCU has has done a nice job of, you know, scouting, developing. I think this coaching staff has done a really good job. We talked last week about the transfer portal, finding under-the-radar talent. Um, and what that looks like and how you go about doing it. And so Wesley Harvey uh, joins the fold. Again, not a ton of information on him right now, but I think he's another guy that we could see. Um, we'll learn a lot more about uh, as the process goes on. And I'm, I'm very interested to see like what their plan is for him because fairly unique style and kind of body type with that height and that length. Um, and seems like he's still pretty lean. So another guy that I'm sure will work with Kaz Gazzotti, um and get to a place where he's doing good. But uh, some momentum now on the recruiting trail. You know, we, we discussed they sort of have reset the board to a certain extent. Um, there was a, a pretty good lull. Sterling Brooks committed in the middle of July, but that was about it for the month of July. And now coaching staff is back at it. They're getting after it again, and you're seeing – some more commits pick up. So three in the past week um, with Chris Brister from Stephenville and then Devondre McGree from, from Conroe, excuse me, the corner. And now uh, Wesley Harvey from Oklahoma. And he joins the fold as an offensive lineman. Fall camp starts today. Practice is actually going to go down um, and we'll, we'll start getting some information about where this team's at. We're going to hear more about the quarterback position, what chance Nolan potentially could bring to the table who Josh Hoover is. Uh, we'll get a better picture of these outside wide receivers, who's going to be the guy outside of Savion Williams, who is really the only player at that spot who is bringing back some returning production. Cordell Russell as a true freshman, even though he missed most of spring camp with a broken collarbone, could he be someone that emerges and is and is a, a force for TCU football, um, is there a possibility that, you know, Dalen Wright, who had sort of an up-and-down career at Minnesota, is he going to be um, a big-time contributor for this team? On the inside, you have JoJo Earl and John Paul Richardson, Jared Wiley at tight end. And another name that I'm, I'm going to watch as fall camp gets going and we hear more from this coaching staff is Jack Besh, who was like a tight end inside wide receiver at LSU, Freshman All-American, production sort of dropped off a little bit after that, had some injury concerns, didn't go through spring practice. Uh, but I know the staff was really excited about him when they landed him in the transfer portal. Um, when we talked 
uh, a few, I guess that was a few weeks ago now, um, with with Doug Fairley from the Coordinator Project, who did a pretty extensive breakdown on who Kendall Bryles is as a coordinator, what he likes to do, what his tendencies are. He talked about having sort of like that H-back tight end position as an extra blocker in the run game, but also using those players in space. So I'm I'm very curious to hear where he's like where he's lining up, what kind of formations they're using him in, and how involved in the offense he's going to be. Because you also got a guy like Dondre Rogers, who sort of uh, you know developed and popped in that um, spring game that TCU had this year. So you have some juice at the tight end position and the inside wide receiver position, and then. Um, on defense, we'll get our first look at Josh Newton for the first time in a while because he, for you know precautionary reasons, also just because he probably has a pretty good understanding of the defense at this point, didn't practice in the spring alongside Avery Helm. Um, those Juco corners, Shannon Canda and Mason White, can they step up? Uh, your D-line, who's going to emerge as, you know, outside of Dominic Williams, who's going to emerge? as a reliable pass rusher or just a, a guy who can hold their gap and um, allow these linebackers to flow fast and get to the football. Uh, a lot of good things are going to sort of, you know, we'll have some more clarity as we push further and further towards the football season. And, um, you know, starting out against Colorado, that game just gets more and more hype around it because now there's the Big 12 angle, Coach Prime and, and the Buffs will – be in the Big 12 in the future. Um, obviously, just that in itself, that Dion is there and he is leading the charge at Colorado is its own storyline. Um, and the fact that TCU, like, what is there? I, I think this is a group that should have a chip on their shoulder, that should be really motivated, given what happened in the national title game. Um, and also in the, in the Big 12 championship game, because they ultimately didn't win a Big 12 title even though they had an undefeated regular season. So what does that mentality look like? What have they been working on in the offseason? Um, that was a really tough group last year. Sonny Dykes talked about that at Media Days. That was a, a team that was led by veterans, um, and, you know, they they got it done. They didn't look ahead. They focused on the task at hand. They stayed in the moment. They banded together. They didn't let anybody get distracted, and they found a way to be super successful as a unit last year. So fall camp going on practice starts today. Excited to hear, uh, you know, more and more news about the TCU football season as we inch closer to the year. When we come back, uh, does TCU have a recruiting problem? We talked about a new commit in segment one. Some of you have been asking me about, you know, what, what is going on with TCU recruiting? We'll talk about that next in Lockdown Horn Frogs. Recruiting talent acquisition. It's the name of the game in college sports, and also in your small business. If you own a small business or if you're a hiring manager, you have to use LinkedIn Jobs, linkedin.com slash college. You want to work with good people. You want to work with the right people. And these days, every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your business. You'll be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And if you want to do that, if you want to make sure that you have access to the best people around, then you should use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has simple screening questions that help you filter out you know, folks that might not be the best fit. You can also, uh, if you go to LinkedIn.com slash college and that's LinkedIn.com slash college. You can use their purple hiring frame uh, to add your job for free, spread the word that you're hiring, 
LinkedIn is the best in the game. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody knows it's a place to go if you're looking for work because of, you know, the wide net that can be cast with LinkedIn. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash college. That's LinkedIn.com slash college. And again, you can post that job for free. There's no cost. Terms and conditions do apply. Make sure you are using LinkedIn college uh, or LinkedIn.com when it comes to hiring for your small business or hiring for your business. You want to get the right people and they have the tools to help you get it done. So I always love feedback on the show. I, I used to be in local radio and that was you know, that was the lifeblood of what we did. We had a text line. We had folks chiming in um, constantly. You know, we had, we took phone calls. I, I wish, I need to get a voicemail line here. I wish I had more um, input and the ability to just kind of play, you know, responses and reactions and all those things with the audience. And I, I had some feedback on the episode on Monday. We talked about Carice Brister committing. We talked about Devon Jerry McGree committing. Um, and we're talking about recruiting, right? And so people are passionate about this. Uh, Charles said he's not impressed with recruiting so far. He expected more because of last year's success. TCU is obviously going to have to do well this season to boost recruiting. Um, and then Big Easy said, I don't think three-star players – win you a national championship. Well, let me say this, guys. First off, I don't I'm never going to tell people what to say. I'm not going to police comments on here. That's not that's not what I do. But obviously there's a certain line that you can get to if you're using hate speech or anything like that. We'll we'll remove it. But for the most part, I want people to, you know, feel free to express their opinions. I will say this. When a young man commits to a school, that's a huge moment for them. It's a huge moment for their families, and it's a heck of an accomplishment. And if a school like TCU that's coming off a national championship appearance and has a good track record of scouting players at a high level, Sonny Dykes and the staff do, offer that young man and feel confident to take his commitment, I think that says a lot about who they are as a player. And I would just be careful about what you say Um I get it. I'm not saying people can't be critical. I want this, you know, this is not like state media. Um, I feel like over the past three years, I've earned a reputation of telling it how it is. I'm going to be honest, you know, when, when things are bad, I'll talk about how they're not going well on the field. Um, but I, I just, I just want to say like, this is a cool thing for the guys that are committing. And I never want to disparage recruits because they're working hard. They're busting their tails. They're trying to reach a level. And if the staff has interest in them and thinks they're going to be a good player, then I think that says a lot about who they are. Um, I will level with everyone on this. I also thought, so right now TCU sits 50th in the 247 composite rankings uh, as an entire class. Um, via on three, they are ranked 44th in the nation. Okay. I believe in 2022, uh, excuse me, in 2023, they finished 23rd as a class in the team rankings on 247 sports. Um, so coming off a national championship appearance, I know a lot of people expected more momentum on the recruiting trail in the nature of getting four-star and five-star recruits. I think they took some big swings at some players that maybe typically 
TCU wouldn't get a lot of interest from, like Bryant Wesco, the five-star wide receiver from Midlothian, who is committed to Clemson. Not a done deal yet, but uh, Dabo Sweeney famously does not like or necessarily allow guys that are committed to his school to go on official visits elsewhere. So TCU still working that relationship, but it's going to be hard to get him in the building and actually kind of roll out the red carpet, I guess, if, if you want to put it that way, um, and get him flipped to TCU. Um, Jordan Johnson Rubel. Rubel was another player, you know, safety from G Academy, big time, big time player um, who ended up in Texas or is committed to Texas that TCU went hard after. Um, Gatlin Blair is a, a wide receiver that's out there, four-star player from Idaho. He hasn't committed yet. Um, you know, not really sure where he stands. I know there's a lot of smoke about him in Oregon. That's not a done deal. But I'm just giving examples of the type of players that TCU was really going after early in the recruiting process. And they missed on some of those. But they also, like, I think we need to acknowledge, they also landed some of the players they want. Um, your Kyle Baker is a four-star four star wide receiver from Brownsboro. Haas Haney is now a four-star talent at quarterback from Alito and continues to rise through the rankings. He seems like a guy that just the longer this process goes on and the more exposure he gets, he's doing special things. Jeremy Payne, Nate Palmer, um, four-star running backs, Tyler Jackson, depending on what recruiting service you look at, is a four-star defensive lineman from Tiger Le- Tyler Legacy. Um and then you got some three-star guys who I think have the potential to be really good. I'll also mention this, just in context. Crease Brister, I think, could be a really, really good offensive lineman. He is an offensive lineman at a 4A school in Texas. It's sometimes hard when you're a smaller school like that to get big-time attention. But I think he's got a good frame, and he's talented. I think Tobias Steps is really talented. He hasn't played the tackle position for very long. Um, I think Julian Knox is a super intriguing prospect, you know, the athlete, uh, from North Crowley, who for the majority of his career has been a backup quarterback there. He's going to play corner, but apparently at these camps that you know he went to, he just showed blazing speed, incredible athleticism, and drew a lot of you know drew a lot of attention. Sterling Brooks um, has a, a huge frame and seems to be the ideal body type for the nose guard in the three three five scheme. Uh, I think TCU has you know a good mix of um, talented guys, you know, really talented four-star players, a few of those, some players with high ceilings that I think could eventually turn into, you know, four-star type talents. And then, honestly, some guys they've scouted and just feel comfortable offering and landing. Um, And they're adding more commits, which is going to help their overall score, you know, and ranking as we move closer to signing day. Uh, They also got a ton of momentum last year during the season in the fall, like winning big games and having big weekends. They had a lot of recruits on campus when they played Kansas State and Oklahoma State last year. And those guys got to see an incredible atmosphere at the Carter um, in a team that was undefeated at the time and just kept finding a way to win games. So if you have a successful season, then I feel like that opens up avenues to, you know, more talent. The Blue Bloods still rule the day when it comes to recruiting. And it's a it's a hard algorithm to crack and I don't know what all the answers are I think there's a lot of moving parts to it I feel like NIL is one part of it Um, I think the Flying T Club is making efforts to expand and enrich you know the the money that TCU has available for student athletes I can't fully speak to that 
aspect of it because honestly, I don't know what all these guys are getting offered. But I know SEC schools out there are spending a ton of money. I know big time programs across the country are throwing a lot of cash at high school recruits, trying to get them there. And TCU's gonna have to going to have to contend with that. Um, I also know that just you know some of it is on the field performance and some of it is just legacy and. I mean, heck, you look at the last decade of Texas football, and that doesn't seem like a place that would attract some of the best talent in the country, but they do it on a year-in, year-out basis. Oklahoma sort of the same way. Both those schools are moving to the SEC. I don't know how much that's going to help TCU or hurt them from a recruiting footprint standpoint. Excuse me. I'll also say this. Um, I think when we look at the new Big 12 – TCU has a chance to lead the way along with Texas Tech is doing a really nice job when it comes to recruiting and, you know, the future of the sport. I know that's not everybody's expectation. Everybody wants to win a national championship. I get it. I hope TCU gets there one day. Um, they were knocking on the door last year and, you know, it didn't work out, but that was in year one of the Sunny Dykes experience. And we saw a lot of good signs about what Sunny could bring to the table. So, I tell all that to I, I say all that to, to bring this point. I'm not going to tell people what to think. I think it's totally reasonable to be concerned and to say, man, I really thought making the national championship game would go further when it comes to landing blue chip talent uh, from the high school ranks. I agree with you on that. But let's not disparage or you know cut down guys that TCU is offering and landing. Uh, because I think this is still a good class. I think this is a coaching staff that has earned the benefit of the doubt on some of these under-the-radar players, and we'll see how it goes. But please feel free to contribute. That's what I, one of the things I love about the show. I will try to read the comments on the air or respond to them, um, and we can disagree and still be cool. Like That's, that's a, a great thing about the world is we don't have to always see things the right way. Um, but that's my thoughts on where TCU is from a recruiting standpoint right now. Uh, and we'll see what happens over the next few months as the season starts. When we come back, I'll give you an, app, an update, excuse me, about um, the Pac-12 meeting today. And we'll also talk about fall camp a little bit more before we wrap up. It's locked on one, folks. Okay, so uh, supposedly the Pac-12 met this morning, and George Klykoff was supposed to give the president's um, Pac-12 president's concrete numbers on where they are moving forward, where they are from a TV deal, and most of this is kind of rumor, and I wouldn't, I don't know, I can't call it speculation because there are people actually reporting it. Um, but the general consensus from Pete Thamel from ESPN and Jason Shear, who covers Arizona and others, was that the main deal or the main kind of numbers that were presented to the decision makers of the Pac-12 on Tuesday morning um, was a deal with Apple TV. And it would be pretty much exclusively streaming. Um, and there would be escalators built in uh, that you know, could lead to more revenue for the schools. Um, and those would mainly have to do with benchmarks to hit with subscriptions. And so if the Pac-12 was able to get a lot of people subscribed to Apple TV or if a lot of folks decided, man, I want to watch Pac-12 football on Apple TV, I want to subscribe specifically to that, then there could be escalators that could unlock more money um, for those schools. 
I'm not sure what's going to happen. It it seems like Arizona is on the way out. I still feel that way today, just based on the information that I kind of saw and what people were talking about today. I think they had a foot out the door already, and unless today's offer blew them away, I feel like they were, you know, making that move. I don't know what the timeline's going to be on that, but I just get the sense that Arizona will be moving on shortly. Um, Oregon and Washington continue to be the wild cards here. The Big Ten and the SEC um, have been sort of quiet on the expansion front. Now, another rumor that has sort of started to surface is the Big Ten could be looking at Clemson and Florida State. The ACC is locked into their media rights deal for a long time. They have a network with the ESPN now, um, and I believe that contract goes through 2036. And the, the, the details and the parameters are very rigid. And so, you know, it's, it's good money, but it's money that's just stagnant for the next decade plus, which is pretty unheard of in today's world of, you know, TV deals. Um, so ACC teams have also sort of been kind of looking around, like, what could we do? Are there ways that we can get out of this? Are there ways to move forward? And apparently Clemson and Florida State are at least are at least listening to the Big Ten, which um, throws a wrench in what Oregon and Washington want, potentially, because it's always been rumored that those two schools in the Northeast are kind of just waiting on a Big Ten invite. And that is, that's, you know, the big magic card that they would to move on and move forward from the Pac-12. Could they potentially be more interested in listening and talking to the Big 12 if the Big 10 is not going to come through with that opportunity? I would think on the surface, yes, they would. So that's another kind of curveball that could be thrown into this process. But again, the Pac-12 continues to kind of flounder out here. They don't have a deal. They don't appear to have um, opportunities that would equal or match what the Big 12 is doing from a monetary standpoint. And so I think TCU's in a good spot. I think the Big 12's in a good spot. I'm not sure what all is going to go on. I'm also just wondering, like, at what point do these conferences stop? You know, we're talking about 14 teams. If the Big 12 adds Arizona – I know the general consensus seems to be like the Big 12 wants to stop with 16, which sounds right. I mean, it sounds like where you would want to cut off and, and have a cap. Um, do the SEC and the Big 10 want to go to 20 teams? That sounds like a scheduling nightmare to a certain extent. But, I mean, I know that, that it's, it's all about finding revenue and finding ways to maximize what you can do um, on a week-by-week and year-by-year basis. And so that's where we're at with the the Pac-12, Big 12 talk. I think things will get a little quieter now unless there's some actual movement in the next few days with Arizona. But actual numbers were considered, and there are reports that they might meet again soon. So I guess the meeting was productive enough or positive enough, if you want to spin it that way, that they are still at the negotiating table talking about this and trying to find – a way to move forward. But um, things look sort of bleak for the West Coast Conference at this time as they continue to try to find a way to, to band together and keep this going. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Locked on Horn Frogs, and it's your team every day.